Thessalonians chapter 4 in your Bibles. And you know what? It seems like almost every time when we go to 1 Thessalonians 4, we're preaching about the rapture, but not necessarily tonight. And, uh, and so I want you to look with me tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want to talk to you about this subject, how to simplify the Christian life. How to simplify the Christian life. So look, if you will, when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's all stand around, the, uh, around God's house for the reading of God's Word tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to read the whole chapter. It's only 18 verses. I'll read it quickly and because I want you to get the, the entire context and the, the entire feeling of the chapter tonight and uh, think about it now as the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to some people that he dearly loves in this uh, Thessalonican church. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, and Paul is writing to these dear ones, and he says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto, unto what? Unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul said those people that reject this message are not rejecting God's man. They're rejecting God. That's what he's talking about there. Uh, verse 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for, you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then Paul says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, not just these words about the rapture of the church, but all of these words that he's just mentioned in chapter number four. And so you may be seated tonight, and I want to talk to you about that just for a few moments tonight, how to simplify the Christian life. How to simplify the Christian life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and ask the Lord to help us, and we'll jump into the Bible study tonight. Father, we thank you for your blessings. And God, we're grateful to be back in the Lord's house again tonight. We thank you, Lord, for Wednesday uh, midweek service and what we call midweek refueling time. It really is. And God, thank you, thank you that we have this, this midway point that we're able to come back in here and sort of get our spiritual tanks topped back off again so we can go back out into this world and be a witness and a testimony 
of the grace of God. And so, Father, I pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd give me power. pray you'd give your people power. I understand, Heavenly Father, tonight that these that I'm speaking to are a little more weary on a Wednesday night than they normally would be on a Sunday. They worked hard today. Many of them started before the sun ever came up. And it's been a full day. And by the time they get home tonight, they're going to be good and tired. And, but I, I appreciate their faithfulness. And God, I pray that you'll use this time together to speak to their hearts and to challenge their hearts tonight. And then, Lord, bless those that are watching by way of live stream. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, flow through the live stream tonight. And I pray that you would work in the hearts of those dear ones that are watching by way of the Internet. And God, help that to, to work well and help our fellows as they are orchestrating some of that. Lord, we pray now that you'll bless, and I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, and I pray that Jesus will receive glory, and I pray that you'll save that one that's nearest hell and encourage that child of God that is a little discouraged. And God, may we worship you in spirit and in truth tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name, and for his sake and all God's people said, amen, amen. And I know you would agree with this. Most often when we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it seems like we always are sort of teaching on the rapture of the church or preaching about the rapture of the church. But I love this. I love this. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is telling us here uh, some simple and what I would say understandable ways to walk as a child of God and to please the Lord. Notice again verse number 1. And he says, furthermore... Then we beseech you, brethren, talking to Christians here, uh, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God. And so uh, Paul is teaching the church here how they can please the Lord and how they ought to walk in their Christian life. And honestly, the things that we're going to give you tonight are very, very simple things. And how many know this? That sometimes we make things much harder than they really are. And I've met people, and I know that you have as well, who feel like that there's no way they could ever live the Christian life. Uh, preacher, there's just no way. I mean, I, I would get saved, but there's just, you know what, I, I, I don't think I could, I could ever hit the mark. I don't think I could ever live up to it. I don't think I could ever live the Christian life. And truthfully, we cannot live the Christian life without the power and the filling and the help of the Holy Spirit of God. But I want to say this tonight, Calvary Baptist Church, and to those who are watching by way of live stream, living the Christian life is really not rocket science. It's really not that complicated. And a lot of times people act as if there's no way that I could live that complicated life. And I want to say, it's really not that difficult. In fact, I submit to you tonight that it is much harder to live the life of a lost person than to live the life of a saved person. No doubt about it. People say, man, how do you, how do, you do it, preacher? How do you live the complicated, uh, complicated life of a Christian? And I want to just back right up and say, how do you do it? How do you live the life of a lost person? It's a lot, listen, it's a hard, yes, sir, brother. It's a lot harder living for the devil than it ever was about living for Jesus Christ. Now you think with me tonight. Think about it. Think about living that worldly, sinful, carnal life. And when you live that life, it comes with many, many personal struggles. 
For instance, when you desire, and some do, when you desire to live the drug life, you know what? You're always battling with that possible addiction. And you know what? Here, and here's the thing. Then if you become addicted, and by the way, if you, if you play around with drugs, all of our young people, if you ever make the decision to play around with drugs, it's probably not going to be a question, am or could I be addicted? It's more like you're probably going to get addicted. You play with meth, you're probably going to get addicted. You start messing around with heroin, you're probably going to get addicted. And here's the thing. When you, when you become addicted to these drugs, it begins to destroy your physical health. You ever seen these, and it's sad, you ever seen these meth addicts? Literally destroys their body. Teeth fall out of their head, uh, sores all over their skin. They pick those, score, uh, those sores and itch those sores until they become uh, infected. And, uh, and so when you become addicted, it destroys your physical health. And then I thought about this. When you become addicted, you have no money for other things. I just, I just wanna, I want all of our teenagers to really hear preacher out tonight. I know, I know how it is. You have friends and, uh, uh, you know, public school kids and, and they're like, man, I'm, we're living it up. I mean, we're living the high life and, and uh, we're doing drugs and smoking marijuana and uh, we're drinking Bud Dumber and, and, I mean, we're doing all these things. And I'm telling you what, man, we're really, really living the high life. And I want to tell you, man, when you get involved in those kind of things, you are not living the high life. You're living the low life. And most people, check it out now, I don't expect our young people to know this, but every one of you older folk could testify to what I'm about to say. Most of that crowd that talks about loving marijuana and loving drugs, most of that crowd don't have two nickels to rub together. Most of that crowd is driving some kind of an old jalopy with the fenders falling off. Amen. Yes. Tires are flat, no tread on the tires. And then somebody pulls in the church parking lot with a, a halfway decent car or maybe even a really nice car. And those same people say, well, I'm just not lucky like you. I can't have nice things like you do. And I want to say, you could if you quit smoking dope. And that ain't popular preaching, but it's right. It's right. Man, just quit buying marijuana and quit uh, uh, buying the drugs and, and uh, just come clean and get right and you'll be amazed at how much money all of a sudden you'll end up having. What, what, what's your point, preacher? My point is that a sinful worldly life is complicated. When you desire loose, now think about it. When you desire loose living and lean toward adultery as many do, you know what? It comes with its own struggles. When you live that lifestyle, you're always afraid your spouse is going to find out. So you're, when you live that lifestyle, you're constantly having to hide. You're constantly having to do things in secret. You've got to make sure you password protect your phone. I'm just telling y'all some church, I don't want to live like that. My wife has all my passwords. She has total access to my phone. She can get into my phone anytime she wants to. But when you're living that lifestyle, you know what? You have to make sure your phone is turned upside down. 
Because you don't want your spouse to see the screen. You don't want your spouse to see a text that may come up. You see, it comes with complications. When you justify drinking and say, well, preacher, it's really, it's, it's really not that bad. You're always dealing with the effects of a hangover. In the back of your mind, you're always thinking about that possible DUI or the price of booze or could I get hooked? And again, the answer is absolutely you could. When you seek to rationalize pornography and immorality, you're constantly dealing with the overpowering effect of lust. And it is overpowering. You say, Pastor, I can do it. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> Come on. I was born in the night, but I wasn't born last night. And when you get involved in that kind of stuff and you begin to look at those kind of things and you begin to watch those kind of things and lust begins to come in, I'm telling you, if you're not careful, it will literally begin to take over your life. You will become a prisoner to lust. What, what's your point, preacher? Is that living a sinful life comes with a lot of complications. When you run with the wrong crowd, you take the chance of becoming exactly like they are. Romans 6.16, know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. But I love this. Because here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you how you can live the victorious Christian life. Let me tell you how you can simplify life. And Paul says, if you'll just do these things, really four things, he said, if you'll just do these four things, he said, you know what? It'll help you in your walk, your daily walk as a child of God. I want to give those things to you tonight if I could real quickly, and, and we'll let you go home tonight. How about this? Number one, the first thing we notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this, that we are to strive for purity. Look, if you will, please, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3. Paul says, in no uncertain terms, he's pretty bold. He said, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, someone says, preacher, what is fornication? And basically, fornication is sexual immorality of any kind. Of any kind. It's intimacy outside of marriage. It's intimacy between people of the same sex. It's, it's incest. It's pornography. And then the Bible says, let me just go ahead and, and, and put it in one big gigantic ball of wax. He calls it concupiscence. Concupiscence. What in the world is concupiscence? And it basically means this. It means forbidden desires or lust. And so Paul says, if you want to avoid some problems, if you want to avoid some pitfalls, if you want to simplify your Christian life and, man, just walk in step with the Lord and have a good life and not have to worry about hiding your cell phone and not have to worry about lying through your teeth. And Paul says, man, if you, want, if, if you don't want to live that lifestyle, if you want to live the victorious Christian life, Paul says, we've got to strive uh, to keep ourselves pure. We as God's children, are to set our bodies, or what the Bible calls a, our vessel, 
We're to set it apart in sanctification and honor. Now the word, and it's back in, in the scripture that we just, uh, just read, verse number four specifically. The word sanctification simply means holiness. Holiness. And the word honor there, that we're to set our vessel apart in sanctification and honor, we're to set our vessel apart in holiness, but also the word honor means this. It means of the price paid or received for a person or thing bought or sold. It's the idea of something that is very, very valuable. In other words, you know what the Lord is saying here, here Calvary? He's saying, you and me are supposed to act like we're somebody. We're supposed to act like we're valuable. And you say, well, well, pastor, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're right about that. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner saved by grace. But here's the thing, we're saved by grace. And God gave an amazing price to purchase your redemption, to, to buy your salvation. He gave his own blessed, wonderful, lovely, darling son to come and to bleed and suffer and agonize and die so you could be saved and be a child of the king. And what the Lord is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this, man, remember that you're valuable to God and act like it. Act like you're worth something. Listen, have you ever... Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever watched somebody purchase something brand new? How about a brand new vehicle? They, they went out to the dealership and bought a brand new vehicle. Leather interior, satellite radio, you know, chrome wheels. I mean, the thing was absolutely beautiful. And a few months later, they trashed it. I mean, the, the mud, they've got mud in, on the carpet. They haven't, they haven't cleaned the windows in months and months, haven't given it a wash in many, many days. And I mean, man, it's just dirty. It's got mud, you know, all up underneath the, the undercarriage. And I mean, it's just dirty. They open the doors and McDonald's cups fall out. And I mean, it's just trashy as can be. Wait a minute now, that's all I'm saying. They paid an amazing, amazing price for that thing. And yet they're not acting like it's valuable. I love what one young lady, they said she was a beautiful young lady. She was a senior in high school. And when she spoke to the, to the school, this is what she said. She said, when we date, we start giving gifts like flowers or candy. When a couple becomes engaged, they give special things, a diamond and very personal things. And then she went on to say this, the most personal gift that I can ever give is myself. I have nothing more precious to give. And when I marry, I want to give my husband the best that I have. My whole self as completely as I can. Now, this, this is all I'm saying. Man, we've got to strive for purity we got to keep ourselves pure. And that's not just a message to young people anymore either. That's a message to moms and dads and adults. There's so much 
corruption and so much immorality. And you know what? It's just a click away. It's just a button away. It's just a step away. It's just a word away. And all this. And can I challenge this church family? And uh, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging me. I'm challenging every deacon. I'm challenging every Sunday school teacher. I'm challenging every leader. I'm challenging every dad. I'm challenging every mom. I'm definitely challenging every teenage boy, every teenage girl, every young person. Listen, you do your best to keep yourself pure. And I'm just telling you, after pastoring for 29 years, hey, kids, I want to tell you something. When you lose that purity, it causes problems. It causes complications. Oh, yes, I know, uh, preacher, you know, you're just, you're old school. I'm old school, but I'm smart school. And I'm just telling you, when you mess around and you lose your purity and you're immoral and you live that immoral lifestyle, I'm just telling you, it will come back to haunt you. It will. So number one, Paul says this. Man, let me help you in your walk. He said, number one, strive for purity. Number two, I'll hit this quickly. Number two, Paul said this, seek to love everyone. Look what he says in, in verse number nine. He said, but, but as touching brotherly love, he said, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Paul said, you know that. You know that lesson. You've heard that lesson. And then he says this, and indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But notice this, Calvary. He goes a step further. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. I love that. You know what Paul is saying there? In other words, don't just love those in your own little circle. Don't just love those folk that talk like you. Don't just love those people that look just like you. Don't just love those people that have the same skin color that you have. Well, I just, I just like white people. I'm just not much for other races. Well, I just want to let all us whiteies know something here tonight. We're the minority, not the majority. If you want, the, if you want to know the, who the majority is, it's those people that have, uh, that have slanted eyes, those people that are oriental, and uh, now again, I'm just saying that, you know what, the Lord says this, that if you want to live a good life, if you want to have a good walk, if you want to just simplify your Christian life, he said, just love everybody. Man, don't, don't worry about loving this crowd and then excluding this crowd. And I'm going to love this group right here. And I'm going to exclude this group right here. I'm going to tell you, that's a complicated way to live. Just, just, just come and say, I'm going to love everybody. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they look like. Man, I don't care where they come from. I don't care if they're rich or poor. I don't care what side of the tracks they come up on, man. I just, I'm just going to love everybody. I'm just going to love everybody. Now, I know that sounds like simple preaching. But I'm going to tell you, when we, when we first came to Calvary, we just tried to start doing that. And brother, you're talking about stirring up a, a bee's nest. We just started inviting everybody. And we just started welcoming everybody. And folks started coming, and some of them looked like me, and some of them didn't look like me. You said, what'd you do when those that didn't look like you, what'd you do when they came in? We shook their hand, loved on them, and said, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. By the way, we meant it. 
And we had uh, people coming to me that said, wait a minute, preacher, you're in Union Grove. You can't do that in Union Grove. You can't do that and get away with it. But I'm just telling you, uh, God said this, if we're going to have a good life, if we're going to have a good walk, you know what? We're going to have to decide that we just love everybody. Not those folks in our own little circle. You can turn there if you want to, but you don't have to. But I want you to hold your place. If you do turn away, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians. But I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 5 that the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked the Pharisees. And one of the things that the Lord Jesus rebuked the Pharisees so harshly on was this. They loved their own little circle. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 43. The Lord says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Watch now. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if, watch now, now Calvary, let, us, let me help us tonight as your pastor. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so, even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, wait a minute now. You're standing out here in the atrium on Sunday morning, and folks are making their way in, and you say, well, I'll shake Brother David's hand, and I'll shake Brother Josh's hand, but I ain't shaking that guy's hand. He don't look like me. And furthermore, preacher, just to let you know, I don't think we ought to have that kind of church. Well, I'm just letting you know. By the grace of God, it's the kind of church we're going to have. And you know what, my dear friend? You'll never convince me. You'll never convince me that if Jesus Christ were here himself pastoring this church, that he would stand at that atrium and say, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. Get off the property, get off the property, get off the property. You're not welcome. We know, we know that if Jesus Christ were here tonight, he'd be welcoming every single creature into this church at Calvary Baptist Church. Now, I know that may not be popular preaching in a lot of churches, but you know what? May we at Calvary Baptist Church be different and may we decide... We're just going to love everybody. And boy, I'm so glad I pastor a church like that. And I do pastor a church like that. I'm thankful, and I mean this. I'm not just saying this. I'm not just saying it because you're here. My wife and I say this. In private, we pastor some of the greatest people in the world. And I've watched as many of our people, as people have come in poor, poor as Job's turkey, and I've seen our people welcome them and love them. Back when we were in the old building down here and there weren't enough seats to go around, we've seen people come in of other races and people come in who were poor and didn't have very nice clothes on. And I've watched as our people have got up out of their seats and picked their belongings up and said, we're glad to have you. Here you go, you can have my seat. Hey, hallelujah, I can be, get to be a part of a church like that. So Paul says, let me help you simplify. Let me, let me give you some things that will help your life not to be so complicated. Number one, strive for purity. Number two, seek to love everyone. Now hang on with me, church, tonight. Number two, or number three, Paul says, study to be quiet. 
Now look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 11. This is interesting and this, this will help us tonight. Verse 11 says, And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business. The word quiet there means this. It means to keep still. But I love this other definition. It means to refrain from meddlesomeness. <laughs> you say, preacher, that's not even a real word. Maybe not, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? By the way, I, I didn't make that up. That was in Strong's Concordance. To refrain from meddlesomeness. In other words, our life ought to be a life that doesn't draw attention to itself in a negative way. We all know folks like that. We know families who are always up in the air about something. Always fighting. Can't even get together for Christmas. I mean, they're just battling it out. You know, aunt so-and-so is mad at uncle so-and-so. Cousin so-and-so is fighting with cousin so-and-so. I mean, the, the, you know, the siblings, isn't this sad? The siblings are fighting with the siblings and just always up in there about something, always fighting with the neighbors or always upset, always seem to have a beef about some issue. They're always causing a stir. By the way, there are churches like that that have people like that, that they're always stirring something up, always talking about whether preacher's message, whether song, whether choir director, whether, you know, whether, whether the Sunday school teacher, why didn't I like the way the piano played? Well, uh, and just, just, I mean, just, and just always, always up in the air about something something. Oh, this is good. This is, I, what, a, what a book. Hey, what a book right here. This will help you. Because Paul comes up and Paul says, let me help you with that. Let me help you with this thing of, of studying to be quiet. He offers a remedy for this thing of meddlesomeness. Number one, Paul says, if you're going to study to be quiet, <laughs> I'm just telling you what he said. I'm just the mailman tonight. If you're going to study to be quiet, mind your own business. It's what he said. It's what the Holy Ghost said. Look with me, if you will. First Thessalonians 4 and verse number 11. And that you study to be quiet and to do that word do is the idea of keep and to do or to keep your own business. In other words, keep your nose out of everybody else's business. That's what it means. My wife and I, we try to walk. We, we try to walk every day if we can. And our little dog, Callie, she weighs about three pounds. And, and Callie loves to walk. And she knows when we're, I, that dog speaks English. I mean, she knows. And uh, and she knows when we're going to walk, and she'll start spinning, you know, you know, and and uh, she just knows. I go in the bedroom and get a couple things out of the closet, and then she's, I mean, she's ready to roll. We put Callie on a leash, and we'll start walking. We walk all the way to the end of the road, all the way back, and that's about 1.2 miles. And so we're walking Callie, and after about a half a mile, you can mark this down. After about a half a mile, she wants Miss Tammy to carry her. She, she, usually she's on the side of the road, but then she'll come over and she'll, start, she'll get right up against Miss Tammy's leg. And that's, Mommy, I want you to carry me. 
Half a mile. She's done. You know why? Because for a solid half a mile, she's into everything. She smells every blade of grass. She looks at every bump. She looks at every little, you know, odd thing on the road. And she's here and there. She's just all over the place. And after about a half a mile, man, she's just, she's done for a little tongue. just sticking out, you know, and she's done. You say, preach, why'd you tell that story? Because I know a lot of Baptists like that. Man, they're just, you know what, they're tongues. You know, because they're in this guy's business and this lady's business and they're in this, this home's business and they're in this ministry's business and they're doing this and doing that and they're here and they're there and they're talking about this and they're talking over here and they're spreading gospel over here. And Apostle, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and says this, let me help you simplify your life. He said, hey, just stay out of everybody else's business. Aren't we having a good time in the Lord's house tonight? Psalm 131.1, Lord, the, uh, the psalmist said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. David said, I stay in my, I stay in my zone. So if you're going to study to be quiet, number one, mind your own business. Number two, Paul says, if you're going to study to be quiet, I love this. He says, be busy in your work. Now look back at your Bibles again. First Thessalonians 4 verse 11. Paul says, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. And to, what's the word? What is the word? And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Verse 12 that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Can I tell us tonight why some people are so interested in everyone else's affairs? Because they simply don't have enough to occupy their time. Someone said there are two reasons why people can't mind their own business. One is that they haven't any mind and the other is that they haven't any business. Now, we're chuckling a little bit, and that's good, because these are, pretty, <laughs> these are pretty heavy, so I'm glad we can laugh. Can I tell you tonight why I believe so many young people are struggling? Struggling with immorality, struggling with lust, watching things they shouldn't be watching, looking at things they shouldn't be looking at just absolutely struggling in their life. Can I tell you why? Drugs, alcohol, sexual immorality. Can I tell you why? They're not busy enough. What does your 18-year-old do for a living? Oh, well, he's a professional PlayStation player. Plays PlayStation seven hours a day. And he wins. What does your young person do for a living, whether well, a full-time couch potato? I want us to understand something like God created man to work. Amen. Hey, man. I feel some black preacher coming on. Hey, man, that's right, yeah. Somebody needs to throw out a my, my, my. Hey, man, yeah. 
God made us to work. These people that are having so many issues and so many problems and so many temptations, you say, Pastor, can you help them? I can help them. I can give them some great advice. Here it is. You work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and at the end of the day, you know what you want to do? You want to go home and do nothing else. You don't care about going to the bar. You don't care about going to the saloon. You don't care about carousing around. I mean, brother, after you work eight, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, you know what you want to go, what you want to do? You want to go home and just be with your wife or be with your husband and eat supper. And I'm telling you, brother, listen, would to God that we would get back to that in our nation. It is a shame the laziness of the generation that we're living in. Adam was placed in paradise. He was, wasn't he? Boy, Adam and Eve really messed it up for us, didn't they? Can you imagine paradise? My wife and I, we talk about that sometimes. Can you imagine how Eden was? Paradise. Perfect temperature. Perfect climate. Perfect environment. But you understand that when... God put Adam in paradise. He put him there to work. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so God said, Adam, I'm going to make it where everything's virtually perfect. But he said, I want you to dress this place. I want you to keep it. I want you to be busy. I want you to be working. New Testament Christianity is working a job. So you can, number one, support the work of God. And number two, so you can support your family. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, For even when we were with you this, we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 12, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. 1 Timothy 5, verse number 8, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You say, well, preacher, my kids are still young. That's why I'm not teaching them to work. Miss Tammy told me the other day, she was talking to Brother Seth about bringing some things for the church or something. It was Tuesday night of revival. That's what it was, Tuesday night of revival. And they'd come Monday night and sang. Tuesday night of revival, Brother Seth rolled in and he thought, you know what, we're going to go to Calvary tonight. And so he went out and got Elijah, 11, 11 years old. He went out and got Elijah He said, Elijah, just drop your tools. We're going to church tonight. You know what Elijah was doing, 11 years old? He was changing the tires on the tractor. And somebody says, preacher, I'm not teaching my kids to work yet because uh, they're still, they're, they're just 15, 16 years old. You've waited too long. You've waited too long. Man, you need to teach them early on. The Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 27, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Man, young people ought to learn what it means to work, to work. 
You say, well, he, he don't have a job yet. Okay, then make him mow the yard. Well, he don't, have a, he don't have a job yet. Okay, then make him wash the car. Well, he don't have a job. Okay, then make him move the sand pile from right here over to right here. And when it gets done, it says he's, he's completed. Then make him move the sand pile from here back over to here and just, just, just teach him how to work. Everybody all right tonight? I'm trying to give you what I believe the Lord told me to give you tonight. My dad, when I was growing up, we had not one but two gardens, and both of them were huge. And you know what? I didn't know it now. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. I know what he was up to. I know what he was up to. Even with a large family, we never used all that produce. And on top of that, mom canned from morning to night. She canned. Listen, if we would have went through a pandemic when I was growing up, we, amen, we wouldn't have had to visit the grocery store for a solid six months. We had green beans, okra. We had, uh, we had every kind of vegetable, squash, cucumbers, uh, you name it, brother. We had it. And then often, you know what, we'd have so much, we'd have to go to the farmer's market. And I, I think, Daddy, what in the world? Why we got two huge gardens, both of them are apart, and Daddy'd say, now, before you go anywhere, I want you to go in there and weed all that corn. Well, you say, honey, no big deal, because you didn't see our garden. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot. We could have made silage out of the corn Daddy had. And Daddy'd say, you, you, weed all, you weed all that. Make sure those weeds are out. I come home, I want that weeded. My friends would call, say, let's go do something. I said, man, I can't, I got a weed. I got to weed the garden. We got to pick taters. We, we got to go pick maters. We, you know, we got we to do that. And wait a minute now. And I'm thinking, Daddy, why in the world do we need all this produce? Truth is, we didn't need it. But my daddy knew something that I did not know. My daddy knew as a teenage boy, his teenage boy, by the way, with hormones going crazy. Oh! My daddy knew that he better keep his teenage boy busy. It's good preaching tonight. Good teaching tonight, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Number one, strive for purity. Number two, seek to love everyone. Number three, study to be quiet. We're done. Last of all, Paul says to this church, see this life as temporal. Now, that's really the context of where, where Paul begins to talk about the rapture of the church. Look at, look at it, if you will, verse number 13. Paul, after instructing these Christians on all these things, he says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as other, others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul said, hey church, there's something we need to understand. This life doesn't last forever. This life is very, very temporal. Someone said it like this. To the extent 
you think about the second coming determines your spirituality. In other words, if every seven or eight months the thought pops in your mind, oh, the Lord could come today. Truth is, you're probably not a very spiritual Christian. And that's where they were. And so Paul says, man, remember something. James said, life's a vapor. Pierce for a little while, vanishes away. And he says, please understand something. Life is short. How many know this? How many know that so many Christians in so many churches are living for the now? And they act like they have plenty of time. And Paul comes on the scene and says, church, don't forget. This life is not forever. Well, life's fragile, isn't it? After 29 years of pastoring, a lot of people I thought would still be sitting here, they're not here, they're not with us anymore. They're in heaven. Some probably in hell. They thought that, you know what, they had plenty, plenty of time. One of these days, preacher, one of these days, I'm going to get on fire for God. You don't know how many days you have. And so what we better do is we better just decide I'm going to sell out now and I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Living the Christian life is really not that complicated. Paul said this, Paul said, strive for purity, seek to love everyone, study to be quiet, and then see this life as temporal. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. God, I'm so glad that I'm a Christian. I'm so glad that I'm privileged to live the Christian life. Father, I thank you that you've given us these four solid but simple principles on how we can simplify. Lord, just if we'll, if we'll do these things, God, we can walk that victorious Christian walk. We can be the Christian that God wants us to be. Lord, it's sort of sad because some of the things that I preach tonight are becoming pretty foreign in our nation. God, I pray that you'd help us at Calvary Baptist Church to be the Christians that you want us to be. Lord, I pray you're working hearts. I pray you'll bring the increase. And I pray all that's done would honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way tonight in this invitation, please. And Father, we thank thee in Jesus' name. Let's stand tonight. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. It could be that someone